Hi, this is John Harper with The Word Ministries. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of these messages God has placed on my heart. I hope that as you listen to this, you will see my heart and passion for God's Word and hopefully see a way that we can partner together in the future to see lives changed by the power of His Word. For more information on how you can bring me to your church or for your next event, go to www.thewordministries.net. God bless. Have a great day. I come to you today um, by way of Shreveport, Louisiana, but I live in Texas. Um, I live up near Conroe. I met Je- we uh, really connected with Jeff and Tammy last summer in Pleasanton when I was preaching a youth revival. I was a youth pastor for 11 years, gone on the road full-time preaching and um, about two years ago. And God has just amazingly, amazingly t- taken my wife and I places we never thought we would, we would have been. Um, last summer we were in Indiana and we were in um, New, New Mexico in October. We were in Missouri. We, most recently I was in Kentucky and North Carolina. And as I travel um, to places like that, I find one common theme and one common denominator that, that churches need to understand that we're not just here to come together and meet, but we're here to make a difference and an impact on the community in which God has placed us. And so today, here's the deal, guys, for, uh, for people to want to come to your church, I believe there's some things that got to happen. I believe there's, there's five key things that we're going to look at in Scripture, um, in Matthew, where, that, that Jesus gives us that we can use to impact our communities that we live in. But also, I believe it's okay to get excited in church. I believe it's okay to have a good time in church. So if you want to say amen, if you want to shout, that's okay. You know why? Because you're prepping for heaven. And... Uh, but I, I believe that there's got to be something exciting about serving a risen Savior. Because if it's not, the world's not going to want to follow it. And so if, you, if, if something that is said through, uh, through me speaks to you and you want to say amen, that's fine. If you want to shout, that's fine. If you want to, I mean, if you, you do whatever you want to do. Because God, here's the bottom line. We serve a risen Savior that, that conquered death, hell, and the grave. And if he conquered death, hell, and the grave, he can conquer anything you're going through in your life. Um, and, and I believe that under Jeff's leadership, I believe with Tammy and uh, what you guys have here in Martindale, that you guys can really, 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 really influence and impact your community in such a way that two services won't be enough to keep the people away. You'll have to have three, four, as many as it takes, because I believe you guys are destined for greatness. But it starts when you and I understand God's plan for us. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. If you go to Malachi, hang a right. If you go to Mark, hang a left. You'll end up in Matthew. Matthew chapter 17. In my Bible, it's on page 921. I told you I like having a good time. I like, I like it when God's people smile and laugh. A lot of us walk around like the only job we could ever get is cruise director on the Titanic. <laughs> I believe it's okay to smile and laugh. God gave us life. We need to live, Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 17, five keys to impact your community. Matthew chapter uh, 17, um, if, if you would please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transformed or transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. Even his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, 
and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright, light, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son. I take delight in Him. Listen to Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell face down and were terrified. Listen, verse 7. Then Jesus came up, came up, touched them and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Him, Jesus alone. You guys can be seated. What is it? What are these five things that we have to do? If Martindale, San Marcos, the surrounding area is going to be impacted, if your church is not just going to be a church, but is going to be a, a kingdom-building church that impacts many people for Jesus, what has to happen? The first thing is found in verse 1. There's got to be a, a commitment in you that Jesus doesn't find anywhere else. You see what it said in verse 1? After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John. And he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Jesus had 12 disciples. Three got to go to the mountain. In other passages of Scripture, it says that Jesus would go in to heal somebody. He'd go into a house. Peter, James, and John were with him. John was with him at the crucifixion. Peter was, one of the, was the only one that got to walk on water. Why is it that Peter, James, and John, only three of the twelve disciples, got to go up on a mountain with Jesus? I believe that Jesus saw in them something He didn't see in everybody else. A commitment. A burning passion. A burning desire to just not, not just want Jesus, but want more of Jesus. See, there's a lot of churches today that are content with having just enough of God. They come and do their Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night routine and ritual, and that's good enough for them. I'm asking you today, is, is there somebody here that just says, you know what, I, I don't want what everybody else wants. I want more of God. I want to go deeper. I want more of God. I'm not content with just my pastor standing up here on Sunday morning and giving me God's Word. I'm willing to dig into God's Word on, on non-church days so that I can encounter Him. Because here's the bottom line. If you and I are not committed to Jesus, how can we expect the world to be? Where's your commitment? I heard, I heard the definition of commitment being this. To give entirely. To give entirely to a specific person, thing, or idea. Have you given yourself entirely to the cause of Christ? If Jesus wanted to do something great in Martindale, Texas, which He does... Would he look in this church and say, there's the one I can use. There's the one I can use. I see such a burning commitment and a burning desire in them that's so different from everybody else. Did y'all know this? Jesus doesn't call us to be average. Yet the average, you know what the church is in America today? Average. We're average and we're content with it. Like I said, we do our, we do our Sunday routine and ritual and expect God's blessing on us. Jesus wasn't average for us. Why should we, we be average for him? Are you committed? Is there, an, is there a, a deep devotion in your heart that Jesus doesn't find in other Christians? See, you're not called to fit in. You're called to stand out. And there needs to be something not just notice, noticeably different from you and the world, but you and other Christians, man. Here's the bottom line. The Christian center in the world today has moved from the United States of America. It is in third world countries now. Why? Because people there are willing to lay down their very lives, their very reputation, their very popularity for the cause of Christ. In Iran right now, where the Spirit of God is moving at an all-time record high, where people are converting from, from Islam to Christianity in record numbers, here's what happens. If you're, an Islam, if you're an Islamic in Iran and you commit to Jesus, 
your family holds a funeral service for you declaring you dead. Which means you lose all the rights and privileges of that family. They write you off. And you know what happens? Iranian Christians that convert from Islam are say, okay, you want to write me off? I'm going to love you to Jesus. I'm committed to Jesus. I'm not going to backtrack on my commitment to Him so that I'll make you happy. And there's a lot of people in churches that are only committed to Jesus when everybody else is. You just heard a second ago the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio Spafford penned that old hymn that we've been singing for years. You know the background of it? Horatio Spafford had sent his wife and his three small children, three small girls, over to England. He had to tend to some business in the States, and he was going to go over there and meet them. They were on a ship. Several days later, he gets a memo from his wife that says these words, two words, survived alone. The boat capsized, and he, he, he just had his wife. His daughters were lost. So he hops on the next, next ship to go to England. And he asks the ship captain, when you get to the spot where my, where my daughters lost their lives, will you stop just for a minute? And it was in that very spot that he penned the hymn, It is well with my soul. A time of ultimate grief, a time that no parent would want to face, and this man's commitment to God was more important than the circumstances. There's some of you here today that are only as committed to God as your circumstances will allow. If there's money in the bank, you're committed to Jesus. If your kids are doing great and they're obedient, you'll follow God. If everything's okay at your job, if everything's okay in your home, if, if, if everything's going well, you'll follow Jesus. But if something happens and your boat gets tumped over, your commitment to God goes out the back door. Here's what commitment is. Commitment is doing the thing you said you'd do long after the emotion and when you said it passes. Some of you made a commitment to God a long time ago. Maybe it was a vacation Bible school. Maybe it was at a revival service, a Sunday morning service. You made a commitment to Jesus a long time ago. And there was a huge emotional um, impact that you had. Are you still as committed then, today as you were then? Because being committed means you'll do the same thing you always said you'd do long after the emotion when you said you'd do it passes. So are there Peter, James, and John's in here? That Jesus says, hey, that's the one I can use. That's the one. There's something different about them than anybody else. Because see, there were nine disciples that missed Jesus doing something amazing. Would you miss Jesus today if he did something amazing here? Second thing I want you to see is not just there has to be a commitment, but there's got to be a change. Look with me in verse 2. He was transformed in front of him, in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. Even his clothes became as white as the light. Now picture this. Jesus is there. They've seen him. They, they've, they've been with him for years, so they know what he looks like. And all of a sudden, he changes into what he's going to look like in heaven. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what was going through the mind of Peter, James, and John? One minute, Jesus looks normal. The next minute, they see him as he is going to be in heaven. Why is that? Because Jesus is laying down a precedent here. That there must be a change. That if you and I are going to impact our community, there's got to be a noticeable change in our lives. Notice I didn't say a religious experience. A baptism. A good old Baptist Sunday school deal. There has to be a change. 
Let me ask you a question. Has your life ever noticeably been changed by Jesus Christ? The Bible says these words, if anyone is in Christ, he is a brand new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. I'm not asking how long have you been a member of a Baptist church, how many times you've been dunked in a baptistry. I'm asking you this question. Has your life radically been changed by Jesus in such a way that the world out there doesn't have to question if you know God, they can see that you know Him? Because everybody who encountered Jesus in Scripture, listen, everybody who encountered Jesus in Scripture, it was evident to everybody they encountered. So let me ask you this. Does the world out there know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you know Jesus? Do they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God and His name is Jesus because of the life you live? Has your life been changed? Or has your life not been changed? You may be great, religious, Baptist. You may have done all the right things but never done the main thing. Listen to me right now. Baptist people go to hell every day. Y'all hear that? Church people miss Jesus every day baptized people miss Jesus every day. Because here's the deal. It's not about the things you do, it's about what He did for us. And understanding it because of what He did for us, in 2 Corinthians 5 it says that we live our lives for the One who gave His life for us. We understand that it's not just about getting out of hell, but it's about living a life in such a way that point people to Jesus. So let me ask you this, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be? And before you say yes, let me ask you this. Your five closest people to you, whether it's a spouse, friends, co-workers, would they say the same thing? Because if your life's not been changed, then listen. You may look good on the outside. You may have all the church stuff. You may be able to, to pray, lead a Sunday school class. You may be able to do all the right stuff and look like you've got Jesus on the outside, but inside, you may be dead. You know how you know if there's change? There's life. Because Jesus came to give life. Life abundantly and life eternally. So do you have life? Has your life radically been changed? So amazingly changed. So amazingly changed that you're different from the world out there. The problem in the church today is we're trying to be more like them than we are more like Jesus. The world doesn't want us more like them. They want us more like Him because what they're doing out there, what they're getting out there, is not working. And there's some of you in this room right now that have tried a bunch of stuff. You've tried a bunch of stuff looking for peace and passion and purpose. Man, if I just try hard enough in athletics, and if I just make varsity, and if I just do this, and if I just do that, and if I just work more hours, and if I just do this, and I just do that, then, then man, I will have arrived. Listen, here's the bottom line. You want peace, passion, purpose? It's not found in anything else but Jesus and Him alone. And until you and I come to the realization that our life has to be changed and impacted by Jesus so that we can change and impact the culture and a world, then listen, the United States will remain the third most unchurched nation in the world. Here's a startling stat for you. Three out of five people in America today get a divorce. You know what's even worse than that? The church number is just as high as the, as the world's number. But here's an amazing stat. A husband and wife who were involved in ministry at a church together, like they, they, they actively attend. I'm not saying they just come and sit. 
but they come and serve and they're active. Out of those, there's a 1 in 50 chance of a divorce. But check this out. Those that don't just come and, and, and serve in church, but those who pray together and who do family devotions three to four times a week together, there's a 1 in 1,000 chance that they'll ever get a divorce. Here's the bottom line, church. Our world needs to be changed. And for them to be changed, we got to be changed. Stop looking to, to the government to change things. Stop looking to your own actions to change things. And get on your face and ask God to change things because He's the one that brings change anyway. And that's true change that you can believe in. Regardless of what Capitol Hill says. Now, the next thing. There's got to be a certainty of Jesus' greatness. Listen to this. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright light covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Listen to him. Okay, something amazing has just happened. Not only have they seen Jesus in his resurrected state, but the two greatest prophets in the Jewish culture, Moses and Elijah, have come on the scene. They've shown up. Moses and Elijah are so revered in Jewish culture that many Jewish families, even to this day at Passover time, leave an empty plate at their Passover meal in case one of them comes back. Because most people believe that at the, uh, during the rapture, during the time of tribulation, that Moses and Elijah will be the two prophets at the Wailing Wall preaching Jesus. These are the two greatest prophets in the history of the Jewish nation. The Bible says about Moses that no prophet has risen that's like him. That God spoke to him face to face as one speaks to a friend. Elijah was taken up to heaven. He never tasted physical death. And so, can you imagine? Peter, James, John. Here's guys they've heard about. Here's guys they've read about. The two greatest men in their culture are here. And Peter, man, don't you just love Peter? Because Peter's just impulsive. He's just off the cuff. Here's what Peter's thinking. You know, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to build houses for all three of you so y'all can just stay and we can have like a pre-heaven pep rally. And here's what God says. Peter, that's well and good. And Moses and Elijah are great. But my son is greater. Here's the bottom line, folks. You and I have to come to an amazing belief in the certainty of the greatness of Jesus. But there is nobody like Him. No other thing will satisfy us like Him. That He and He alone is what our heart's allegiance and our heart's devotion needs to be put on. Here's what happens in the church. Jesus plus a good job equals happiness. Jesus plus great kids equal peace. Jesus plus this equals this. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus and Him alone. And I want you to hear me very closely. Listen, there's some of you here right now that have trusted Jesus for salvation, but you're holding on to things trying to handle it yourself. Jesus wants to take that burden from you and handle it for you. Because if He can conquer death, hell, and the grave, He can conquer whatever it is that you're trying to handle and you're worried sick to death about, He can handle it because He's God. And here's what, here's what God's telling Peter and, and James and him. He says, look, here, Moses and Elijah are prophets, but Jesus is God. Moses and Elijah are great, but He is greater. Friend, when are you and I going to come to the 
conclusion that nothing will do the world any good except Jesus and Him alone. And when are we in the church going to worship Him as God? Not just on Sundays, but when we're not in church. Because it's real easy to worship Jesus on Sunday morning. Everybody else is doing it. It's real easy to talk about the majesty of God on Sunday morning. But does He have that same majesty in your life Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Non-church days? Who's the God of your life? Who's calling the shots? You or God? I had to hurt, have you ever seen those bumper stickers that says, God is my co-pilot? That's the problem. He shouldn't be the co-pilot. He should be piloting the plane. But so many times we take God off the throne of our hearts and we put something else or someone else there. And then what happens is that someone or that something doesn't do for us what we think it should, so we blame God for it. Until you and I see the greatness of Jesus and the fact that He can do anything, that He is God. Here's the bottom line. Allah is not God. Joseph Smith is not God. Confucius is not God. There's only one God and His name is Jesus. You say, well, John, I don't believe that. Okay, let's hop on a plane and go to Saudi Arabia. We'll find the remains of Muhammad. Let's go to Missouri and in Salt Lake City, Utah, we'll find the remains of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Let's go to China. We'll find the remains of Confucius. Let's hop on a plane and go to Hollywood, California. We'll find the remains of John Travolta's son in the Scientology movement. But if we hop on a plane and we go to Jerusalem, we won't find the remains of Jesus because he ain't there. He rose. He's the only man the only leader of a worldwide religion that didn't just die but came back to life. And because He did that, you and I, we should come every week expecting Him to do great things because He's a great God. And He deserves more than the leftovers we give Him. How many times do we sit through Sunday morning church and give Him golf claps? But when our favorite sports team or our favorite NASCAR race or our favorite movie's going on, we're yelling and screaming. What has that sports team done for your life that Jesus can't? Because here's the deal. I preach at a lot of churches, to a lot of groups, and the one thing I think that separates impactful churches from non-impactful churches is impactful churches realize that Jesus is the only solution. That he's not an option, he's not an opinion, he's a solution. I was preaching last Sunday morning at a church in North Carolina, I shared this story with them. There was a church down the road from them in South Carolina that was started 10 years ago in a cornfield. They started it 10 years ago. And I was watching this, this pastor from this church on a podcast on the computer at one of their big conferences they do. Here's what he said, he said, we started this church 10 years ago, and we were just guys that got excited about the cross. And we've never gotten over it. Did y'all hear that? We've never gotten over the cross. Church, are we over the cross? Does the thought of the cross and Jesus ble bleeding every drop of blood out of his body and him be being beaten so bad that you can't even recognize him as a man, does that bore us or does that wow us? Because think about this. 
The things that we, we've put in His place have never done for us what Jesus did. Jesus was beaten so bad you couldn't even tell if He was a man. Dropped every blood, ounce of blood out of His body. Willingly for your sin and mine. And He did it because He loves us. And He wants to be the Lord of our lives. And the pastor went on to say these words. We've never gotten over it. And he said, in 10 years' time, we now have 10,000 members in over six different campuses, and we still preach Jesus, and we still preach the cross because we've never gotten over it. Because the people that come to our church don't need behavior modification. They don't need marriage help. They don't need freedom from drug addiction. They need Jesus. Because if they get Jesus, then all that other stuff will come into play. So, folks, here's my question. Who or what are you listening to to solve the problems that are going on in your life? Oprah and Dr. Phil ain't got the answer. But I know somewhere that does. This book. That's completely and totally true from cover to cover. It's got the answer. And here's what it says the answer is. Jesus. Next thing I want you to see is that there's got to be courage in following him. Verse 6, when the disciples heard it, they fell face down and were terrified. Then Jesus came up, touched them, and said, get up. Don't be afraid. Verse 7, don't be afraid. Over 365 times in Scripture, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a parent. i got three kids. And my kids know that I mean business if I say something more than once. Because usually when I say it more than once, there's some emphasis put on it more the more times I say it. And usually, there comes a time when the last emphasis is put on their behinds. So if, Jesus is, if God says in his word over 365 times, don't be afraid, do you think he means it? He does, and here's the problem. For the longest time, the church has been afraid of going public with their faith. In 1962... One woman spoke louder for her beliefs than a bunch of Christian people did, and that's why your kids can no longer be led in prayer in public school. Because the church was afraid. In 2001, after 9-11 happened, people flocked to church. 95% of those people aren't in church anymore. You know why? Because pastors were afraid to say... These words, your life is but a vapor, it's here today and gone tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, and if you were to die today, is your eternity secure? Instead, pastors tried to help people in the grieving process, which is fine, but here's what we didn't do. We're afraid to mention the name Jesus. We're afraid to talk about Jesus because it might offend somebody. Listen, this is the most offensive book ever written about the most offensive person that's ever lived. And he wasn't worried about offending people. Why should you and I be? Back around the Civil War time, there was, a, there was a preacher that stood up to preach. And he was near Washington, D.C. And he got wind from some of the church members that Andrew Jackson, President of the United States of America, was going to sit in his service. And he needed to watch his comments. Because after all, you don't want to offend the President of the United States. So this preacher's going through his message. And here's what he says. It doesn't matter who you are. Even the President of the United States, if you do not have 
a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will die and spend an eternity separated from him in a real place called hell. At the end of the service, Andrew Jackson came up to him and said these words, Son, if I had a hundred men that had your heart and your spirit, I could win any battle I've ever fought. Here's what he's saying. I respect a man that'll stand up for what he believes in. Church, I'm asking you today, Jesus said these words, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. It's time for the church to stand up and fight. Our nation needs the church to stop being afraid and start going public with their faith. It's been over 100 years since the last great revival in the history of the United States of America. Before that, every revival happened every 50 years. It's been over 100 years since the last one. The last one started actually in Wales and spread to the United States because there was a Bible student named Evans Roberts that had a message from God. 19 years old, God gave him a message. So he goes to his hometown, knocks on his pastor's door, says, God's given me a message for the church and I need to deliver it. As all good pastors do, he says, okay, you can have the Sunday night service because I'm already ready for Sunday morning. Sunday morning, there's 400 people there. At the end of the Sunday morning service, he tells the congregation, come back Sunday night because that young Evans Roberts has a word from God. Only 19 people showed up Sunday night. The pastor himself wasn't even there. Here's what, Pat, here's what Evans Roberts told him was the message from God. Number one, get rid of any known sin that's in your life. Number two, flee any doubtful activity that's in your life. And number three, go public with your faith. Those 19 people were so moved and so broken by the Spirit of God that revival set in so much so that in Wales, the jails were empty, houses of prostitution shut down, taverns shut down, marriages were restored, families were healed. The Spirit of God crossed the ocean to the United States of America and the last great revival this nation has seen happened because some 19-year-old kid that was a college student in Wales stood up and said, I have a message from God. And the last thing he said was, we've got to go public with our faith. People started living for God and the world took notice. Here's the bottom line. The world needs to see Christians who will stop being afraid to be called a Christian and will start living boldly and unashamedly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because they want to know that there's something about this guy that we say we serve on a Sunday morning. And if they see us tucking tail and running, then they don't want what we have. Are you ashamed? Are you scared? Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid. Get up. Don't be afraid. Here's why. Because there's lives at stake. There's some of you here right now that have family members that are dying and on a one-way ticket for hell. They're miserable. And God's put them in front of you for you to share the message. You say, well, John, I'm not Jeff. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not real good on my Bible education. That's okay. The Bible says in Acts that Peter and John were uneducated and untrained men, but they had been with Jesus. And Peter preached one time and 3,000 people came to Christ. Jesus said as he's ascending into heaven to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Here's what he didn't say. If you're a preacher, go. 
If you're a missionary, go, he told his disciples. And here's the deal, folks. His disciples are long gone, but those that bear his name today are his disciples. And the same message then applies today. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a missionary. You can be a godly businessman in Martindale, Texas, and win more people to Jesus than a pastor of a church could. If you'll get excited, if you'll get passionate, if you'll get unashamed. Paul said these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Here's what he said. He said that, that word power is the Greek word dudamos, which means dynamite. And he said when you and I begin to live unashamedly, when we begin to share boldly, we push down on a detonator that can ignite an explosion of life and of freedom to a country that's desperately needing. You say, well, man, we live in the greatest country ever. We do. We're also the third most unchurched nation in the world. In the last five to ten years, the United States has received more missionaries in than we've sent out. The nation that's founded one nation under God is now, a, is now a nation that has more people following Islam, Mormonism, and the religion of unbelief than it does the God that the country was founded on. Why? Because those of us who claim Jesus, for whatever reason, are afraid to share Jesus. The last thing I want you to see in verse 8 is they chose Jesus alone. Bible says they got up and they saw nothing but him. They saw nothing but him. If you're here today and you're looking for the answer, it's not in the bottom of a bottle of alcohol. It's not in a relationship with a guy or a girl or a man or a woman. It's not in working more hours to get better pay. It's in Jesus. And listen, Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on us. He allows us to choose. And you can choose today to live life just as it is, as you've always done it. You know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. There's some of you here today that are living life as is. Man, you're going to leave here today, you're going to do your regular thing, and you're going to leave here expecting a different result. That's crazy. That's insane. Because you're, you're scared. You're, you're thinking, well, if I choose Jesus, then my reputation in society is going to be lost. All my, guy, my buddies that, that, are, that, that I work with are going to laugh at me. Man, there's going to be some things I'm going to have to give up that I don't want to. Do you understand that if you choose not to respond to Jesus, you're choosing misery for yourself? I'll give you a prime example. I told you my ministry's about two years old full-time. Well, I was the, my most recent church, I served as youth pastor there for six years. About two years into that time, God called me to go on the road full-time and preach. We were running over 100, and, we were running between 100 and 150 students consistently on Wednesday and Sunday. I told God, there's no way. God, I'm at the height of my ministry success. I've got a wife, three kids, a house, note, and a car note. God, I'm not doing that. No. For three, for about two and a half, three years, God told me, you better do it. No, God. You better do it. No, God. You better do it. No, God. And here's what happened. The more I said no to God, the more miserable I got. To the point where all I wanted to do was preach to my kids. I didn't want to plan an event. I didn't want to go to the office. All I was doing was collecting a paycheck for my church. Because I had lost the passion for what God had originally called me to do. Because I was outside of his will. And there's some of you here right now that God has been saying for a long time, you need to get right with me. You need to give this to me. You need to surrender to me. You need to follow me. And you've said no, 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 no. And you mask it real well. You come to church and you've got a big old smile on your face. You're shaking hands. You're laughing and you're masking it real well. But inside you're miserable because you've chosen to be miserable because you've chosen to say no to Jesus.
and you've tried everything else out there, and nothing else has given you what it is you're looking for. Today, would you just try Jesus? And him alone. Not the church Jesus, the Bible Jesus. Because there's a difference. The Bible Jesus looks at people the way he looks at them. As people who need life. The Bible Jesus is a king that's worthy of worship all the time, not just on church time. The Bible Jesus is a guy that can do anything, not just a guy that saves for eternity. The Bible Jesus is the one that eventually every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to and say that he is Lord. Friend, you're going to bow now or you're going to bow later. I, if it were me, I'd bow today. Because when you bow later, it just may be too late. So where are you today? How's your commitment? Let me ask you this. On a commitment scale, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, where's your commitment to Jesus? If it's giving yourself entirely to a person, a thing, or an idea, based on that definition alone, you give entirely, not somewhat, not enti but entirely, where are you? Before you answer, if I were to interview people close to you, would they say the same thing you just said? Has your life ever been changed by Jesus? Not religion, not church. Your life's been changed. Noticeably, where a lost and dying world out there knows that you know God. Because listen, here's the bottom line. If you don't, if your life's never been changed, you can be dunked in a baptistry and still, have, still die spiritually. You can be on every church roll from here to San Antonio and miss God forever. And still not have life. Because it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Not only that, but are you treating Jesus like the God He is? The great God He is. The mighty God that He is. Or is your relationship with Him circumstantial? He's only great when things are great with you. But somebody sits in your seat, somebody says something wrong in church, Something bad happens to you, he ain't God anymore. You are. Maybe today you just need some courage to fight the good fight. Maybe today you just need to respond to Jesus and him alone. Just choose him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't give a rip what everybody else is doing. How uncool it looks. I'm not about popular opinion. I'm about Jesus. And when Joshua made that declaration, he said, hey, choose for yourself whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Here's what he said. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Folks, Jesus doesn't need any more fans. He needs followers. A fan is somebody who when their team's not doing good, they jump ship to another team bunch of Cowboy fans jumped on the Arizona Cardinals bandwagon a couple of years ago so because they didn't want the Pittsburgh Steelers to get number six Super Bowl. And if you're a Cowboy fan, I'm sorry that happened. But here's the deal. A follower is somebody that, know, if their team is losing every year, they still follow that team. Jesus doesn't need any more fans. Jesus needs followers. So where are you today? 
in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. When I say amen, our accompanist and our, and our music leader are going to come back up. They're going to lead us in a time of an invitation song. And here's the invitation. The invitation is simply, what will you do with Jesus? You've heard the message. You've heard the challenge. Now the onus is on you. God's not going to hold me responsible for how you respond. He's going to hold you responsible. And choosing not to respond is the same thing as saying no. So in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. When I say amen, they're going to, they're going to start leading us. Here's my question. If you're a Christian here today, and those five things that we looked at, is there something that you need to get right? Throughout Scripture, the altar has been a place where people got right with God. Maybe you need to come up and get right with God. Maybe you're here today, and you realize that your life's never been changed. And because of that, you deserve, you deserve death, hell, and the grave. Because of that, you're miserable because you've chosen a lot of things, but you've never chosen the king. There's a difference. Because when Jesus comes and lives inside of you, your life is noticeably and completely different. You look different, you think different, you act different. Does it mean you're perfect? No, you're still going to sin, but here's the deal. The underlying desire of your heart is to please him. It's to know him and to make him known. Because see, here's the, here's the deal in church, folks. You're not just called to go to heaven by yourself. You're called to go to heaven and take as many people with you as possible. So let me ask you this. Are there people wanting to beat down the gates of heaven because of the life you're living? And how can somebody that you know want to go to heaven if you're not even sure you're going? Because being baptized ain't going to get you there. There's a thief on the cross that died and Jesus looked him square in the eyes and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. He's with Jesus right now. Being a Baptist, don't cut it. Do y'all know God's non-denominational? There's Baptists that are going to miss heaven. There's moral upstanding pillars of society that miss heaven. There's tithers and deacons, Sunday school teachers that miss heaven because they've never bowed their heart to Jesus and asked him to change them. They've said words, they've cried tears, but their life has never been changed. Here's what Christianity is. It's an inward decision that evokes an outward change so when people look at us they see in us something that is contagious and something that they want has that happened to you if not i'm going to say a prayer and i'll be waiting here's the deal your life is but a vapor you're here today and gone tomorrow out of everything God promises in his word, he never promises tomorrow. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that your life has been changed, therefore you're guaranteed a spot in heaven with Jesus, and, there, and because, because you, your life has been changed, you have life here abundantly and free, then you come to me. I'd love to share with you how you can know. I'm going to say a prayer. When I say amen, we're going to stand. They're going to lead us in a time of invitation. Church, here's the bottom line. I didn't come today to entertain you. I didn't come today to to make you like me i came today to share with you the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth because it is the truth that will set you free and when i leave here if you like me fine if you don't fine because here's the bottom line i'm looking for people that want to impact the world because i'm on a mission to find to, to equip churches to impact the community they're in because you're not just here to come to church and sit up you you're here for them out there that are on a one-way ticket to hell and they need Jesus. Maybe there's some of you in here right now. 
that you just need Jesus. You've tried everything else to get you out of the predicament you're in. Your family's in shambles. You're worrying. Maybe it's time to put Jesus back on the throne. Let's pray together. Father, I love you.